I'd like you to think about something. Some of you may have heard these words before. They took place in October 29th of 1941. These words were addressed to a boarding school in England called Harrow School. The speaker was Winston Churchill. He was at the time Prime Minister of Great Britain. 1941, do the math. Great Britain had been at war with Germany for two years and had been going it alone. Oh, there were a few nations that had allied themselves with them, but nobody had any strength to stand, only Great Britain. And so they stood. The United States had not seen fit to come along yet, and Great Britain was bearing the brunt of that war for two years and more. They had received air raids every night, or almost every night. Brits were being killed on a nightly basis, and yet they stood. And in giving this address to his alma mater, the school that he attended when a boy, he said these words, never give in, never give in, never, 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 in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in, except to convictions of honor and of good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Now, he said more than that, but that's what we're going to focus on this morning. I think that his words really summarize what God was saying to the nation of Israel during a very critical time in their history. When they came out of captivity and were commissioned by God to go back to their land and build a temple for God and establish worship once again. And I think the Lord is saying the same thing to us today. There are certain things that we never should give in to. Let's talk about Israel at that time. You might remember the Israelites as being God's chosen people. God chose them. But it seems that they had a hard time choosing God. And they strayed from him. So far that God had them removed from the land. The southern kingdom ended up in Babylon. And they were, they were slaves there in Babylon for 70 years. But before they left, the prophet Jeremiah said this. He said, they're going to be gone for seven years. You're going to be gone. God's going to bring you back. Can't imagine that. The temple's in ruins. The land is devastated. They've been conquered by the greatest power of the world. And the prophet has the audacity to say that they're coming back. Well, when Cyrus, that great Persian king, conquered the Babylonian empire and established his own great Medo-Persian empire, he did an amazing thing in his first year. He said, I would like to give all the Jews living in my kingdom permission to go back to the land and build a temple to their God. And he said, and furthermore, I'm going to fund the bill for this project. Unheard of. Why? 
Did he do it? Because God had inspired him to do it. It wasn't so much that he was a worshiper, but God gave him a desire to see this done, and he established that edict. And so Israelites went back to the land. If you read the scripture, particularly in in Ezra, it gives you numbers, 50,000 about, went back, and they settled in the land, and they settled around Jerusalem. And very soon after settling there, this is what they did. I'd like you to read it with me. We're going to be looking at scriptures from Ezra, from the book of Haggai, and from the book of Zechariah. And uh, we get a much better story if we put them all together. So we'll bounce around a little little this morning, but you'll see the scriptures on the screen. Let's look at Ezra uh, 3, 1 through 3. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They did the right thing when they went back. They put God first. They got an altar established so that they could offer sacrifices to God and reestablish that kind of worship that God had ordained for them. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, They built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. Well, not very long after that, they did something else. In fact, seven months later, this is what they did. Chapter 3, verse 8. In the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jozadak, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem began the work. And the work we're talking about is the building of the temple. Let's look at verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... The priests in their vestments and with their trumpets, I didn't hear about any trombones back then, but with their trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, for he is good, his love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Let's also read verse 12. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had not seen, who had seen the former temple, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. Now, you can imagine the kind of confusion that would have been in that setting. So here's people. They've laid the foundation, and they're having a celebration, and the priests are there with their trumpets, and they've got the cymbals, and they're shouting for joy, and yet some of the older folks 
are weeping because they remembered the temple of Solomon. They saw the majestic temple that Solomon had built. And they looked at this and they said, what's this? This is nothing like what we experienced. And they wept. And so he had this confusion going on in that situation. Sometimes today, we're tempted to think that bigger is better. And we despise the smaller things that God is doing. He was doing a great thing. Yes, it didn't measure up physically to the building that Solomon had built. But God was doing a great thing. And they couldn't get their minds away from what had happened in the past. And they couldn't rejoice with the rest of the people. We need to take a lesson from them and never be caught in that trap of thinking that only big things are worth doing. That God isn't in the smaller things. Because he is. And he's called many of us to do a small thing. It's big in God's sight, but it may be small in man's sight. Well, they went ahead and they began to build. And when you do something for God and you're doing God's work, there's going to be opposition, isn't there? We tend to think sometimes if there's opposition, maybe I'm not doing God's work. Well, maybe you are. And maybe that's why the opposition is coming. It's so much God's work that Satan has taken up the cause and he's fighting against you. Let's read what happened in Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him to, since the time of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. These were people that had been brought in from the Assyrian Empire into Israel when the Israelites had been exported. And they were sort of worshipers in God. They added God to a list of all kinds of other gods that they worshipped. And they wanted to help because what they wanted to do was undermine the project. And Zerubbabel and Joshua caught what was going on. And let's read about it. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the Reds rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. They just happened to use his authority there. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. So their first tactic, which was, to, to appear like friends and come alongside and subvert the project didn't work. And so then they came on a little more directly. And they were discouraging them. Verse 5, they bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so they opposed their work and they... Um, discourage them in any way that they could do until, and this is what happened in verse 24. 
Thus, the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. That's a sad thing, but it happens all the time. Has it ever happened in your life? God called you to do something, and it was going well for a while. You had a celebration. There was the honeymoon, and then it got down to hard work, and there was opposition. And you wondered, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be doing this after all. My life would be so much easier if I just let go of this. And so we've let go. Has it been God's will? Well, God didn't let go of the project because it wasn't their project. It wasn't the Israelites' project. It was his project. Worship needed to be established again. And it was God's plan. He was the one that had called them. He was the one that had inspired Cyrus to make the decree. So God sent some prophets along the way. There was, there was Zerubbabel. He was the civil leader of the group of people that went back. He was the governor. He, he had descended from the kingly line in Israel. But there was a spiritual man, the high priest, and that was Joshua. And then God sent prophets to speak, and they spoke. The prophets Haggai and Zechariah. Let's listen to what Haggai had to say, starting in chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's temple. Oh, really? Who said? They were saying that. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is time for you to be, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Do you get what's happening here? The people had backed off of building the temple, God's plan, and had focused on their own homes. Yeah, we need a home to live in. But they had decided that life is too hard when I'm doing this temple thing. Let's just let that go, and we'll focus on our own lives. Now, we need to take care of our own. We need to have jobs, and we need to have houses, but we need to not let God's work go undone. And that's what they had done. So here's what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin. 
while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and all the labor of your hands. God had done that. They were focused on themselves, and guess what? It didn't work. Their harvests weren't producing. Their livestock weren't producing. It's because God was trying to get their attention. They had strayed from the path. I want to remind us of a principle in Scripture that Jesus uh, summarized in Matthew 6.33. Though it was the first time it was said this way, it, it's throughout Scripture, this principle. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All these things meaning uh, food and clothing and things that we need to sustain our life. So the principle is, put God first, and all of that will be taken care of. And it's, it's seen here in this story, as well as the day that Jesus spoke it in Matthew 6.33. Well, fortunately, Israel had some great leaders. And they, they worked in tandem. I, I love the way these two men worked together. Zerubbabel and, and Joshua. Uh, they had different functions and different roles, but they both were listening to God. And they supported the purposes of God together. There was unity. And it's beautiful to see. Look at verse 5, or verse 2 of Ezra 5. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jozadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. They got the message. They got it. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. The prophets Haggai and Zechariah. Listen to what they were saying during this time, after they got back to work. Let's look at Haggai, chapter 1, 13 and 14. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. He never said that when they stopped, but as they got back to it, he said, I'm with you. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. Hallelujah. Let's read on in chapter 2, verse 1. This is more of the word of the Lord through Haggai. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it, does it not seem to you like nothing? See, that spirit had, had stayed with them. They hadn't gotten over this idea that if it's not big and grand or bigger than it was before, it's not worth anything. And he's coming against that. That's a, that's a demonic kind of thinking. It's a worldly kind of thinking. God had ordained this building and it didn't measure up physically to what Solomon had done. 
but it was God's work, and it was going to be mighty. And by the way, it was the longest standing temple of the three temples that ever existed. Um, in that, of, of the three temples that existed, it was the longest standing. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. There it is again. When you do his will, he's with you. Sometimes we cry out to God and say, God, be with me. Are we doing his will? Let's go on. This is what I have covenanted with you when I came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. And then Zechariah said these words. Zechariah said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. How are you going to get this done? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how we'll get the work done. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Let's talk about what he's saying there. What's the mighty mountain all about? The old temple had been taken apart stone by stone. It was literally a mountain of rocks in the middle of Jerusalem. It was a mess. It was a pile of rubble. And God is saying, this mighty mountain, this pile of rubble is going to become level ground. And then, he says, then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. The capstone was the very last stone of a building to be laid. And he's saying, God's going to do it. He's going to build this. He's going to use you, Zerubbabel. And then you not only laid the foundation, you're going to lay the last stone. Let's go on to the next verse. Then the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Is there more to that verse? Do you have the rest of that? Or is okay. There's that emphasis again on not despising a small thing. Some of you have been called by God to do big things, and some of you have been called by God to do little things. And sometimes in our lives we do big things, and sometimes in our lives we do smaller things. You may have been called by God to minister to one person. I've had times like that in my life where I could say, my, my, my focus right now is one person. That's God's work. If he's called you to it, do it with dignity. Do it with, with power and creativity and energy and rejoice because that's God's work for you. There'll be times when you'll do bigger things. Rejoice in that. But don't despise the day of small things. The day of small things is always a day of beginnings. 
and big things have beginnings, and beginnings are often small, but they grow. Well, what happened? Let's read the rest of the story in Ezra 6, 14 through 18. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Iddo. They finished building the temple according to the command of God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. (laughs) For the dedication of this house of God, they offered 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And we think, I mean, to me, that sounds like a lot of animals. Um, But compare it to what they offered for Solomon's temple. In Solomon's celebration, they were offering thousands of animals. And uh, was Solomon's temple more godly than this one? No. No. It was bigger. It was more glorious in wealth and all of that. Not more godly. God was in this. And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. I love this story. I love to see how God intervened in the history of his people and didn't let them just wallow in slavery in Babylon, but brought them back through a miracle by putting it on the heart of a pagan king to decree that that could happen. They didn't have to fight their way out of Babylon. They walked out, just like they walked out of Egypt. And they went back, and they rebuilt the temple. It was hard, and there was opposition, and they made mistakes. And they had a wrong focus at times. But God was with them. God is a great God of second chances, and he's with us. And we may have given up on something that he wants us to do, but he's got, he's, he's got a plan, and he wants to help us get through it. As you leave today, I'd like you to think about three things. Let's go back to that speech of Winston Churchill. Sometimes even a, a person in a secular arena can capsulize something that just makes it clear, and I think he did, when he said, never give in. They were being bombarded by the Germans every night. They were outmanned. They were holding off the Germans alone in the world at that time. And he says, never give in. But in our case, never give in. Never give in to selfishness. That was the first mistake they made. When they, when they had opposition, they concluded that this is too hard. Let's just focus on our own homes, and we'll let this pile of rubble stay here. And God said, no. Never give in to selfishness. 
Put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Put God first. You never go wrong when you put God first. Never give in to fear and intimidation. Satan has been using that temptation from the very beginning. Fear and intimidation. Never give in to it. It's his most favorite. It's most favorite. Sorry, English people. It's his favorite tool. Never give in to fear and intimidation. Do what God has called you to do. And if they're, if they're coming to you every night, say, bring it on. We are not changing in our resolve. We're going to do what God has called us to do. Never give in to thinking that small things don't matter. Never give in to thinking that small things don't matter. They struggled with that. They looked at this foundation of this temple. It wasn't as big as Solomon's. They couldn't even rejoice. Don't fall for that. God may have you at a time in your life right now where you're doing something small. Do it with integrity. Do it with everything you've got. That's God's wish for you now. And he builds off of small things. Did you ever hear the song, Little is Much When God is in It? Let me ask you a question in terms of small things. I don't know the exact date in the calendar that when Jesus was born, we celebrated on December 25th. Let's just assume that is the date. On the year that Jesus was born on December 25th, I can imagine that there was an army somewhere in the world flexing its military muscle with thousands of soldiers. I can imagine that there was a king being crowned somewhere in the world. I can imagine that there were some big business deals going down. What was the most important thing happening on December 25th? A baby was being born to two people who were as poor as church mice in a stable. Is that small? In the eyes of the world, that's non-existent. You don't even mention that. That doesn't matter. Did it matter? Whoa! It's the most important thing that's ever happened that Jesus came to earth and would soon give his life. So don't despise the day of small things. But if God has called you to a time of small things, and me, let's do it with all of our hearts. Well, I'd like to pray with you, and Paul and team, if you guys would come ahead. Thank you, Lord Jesus for this beautiful story of your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for how you gave power, not by might, but you gave power through your spirit to do a job that was impossible. Thank you for the second chance you gave to your people after they had gotten their focus 
off. They had put focus on themselves and had forgotten God and his purposes and you gave them a second chance. But they, they did so well and it's so neat to read the story. Help us, Lord, to always put you first. Never to give in to selfishness. Hallelujah. God, may we never give in to fear and intimidation. And may we never give in to the thought that small things don't matter. Have your way in our lives and we commit ourselves to you 